7.33. So we're building up to this summit now with Professor Philip J. Crowley from George Washington University on the line. He served as the Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs and a spokesman for the Department of State during the Obama administration. Thank you so much for taking the time today. A pleasure. We've just been hearing a little bit more about what President Trump has had to say. He still, at this moment, you know, presumably awake, having his breakfast, whatever he's doing in in Singapore, he's still tweeting about his concerns for defending himself in the US. The two tweets he's uh, released in the last 45 minutes, one of them defending uh, the stock market being up almost 40%, talking about his unemployment record, uh, highest confidence ever, Uh, but the other one talking about haters and losers in the US. He's in a pretty defiant mood, it seems. Can you tell us a bit more about the atmosphere in the U.S. and why he feels a need to be saying those things right now? Well, I, I, I think first and foremost, it, it is part of the Trump uh, M.O., if you will. Um, you know, he tends to get up uh, early, he tends to turn on the television set, and he tends to react and tweet based on, on what he's seeing uh, on the screen. Um, so for those of us here in the states, um, this is this is standard Trump, and he's carried those same habits uh, on what uh, what may well be uh, the defining foreign policy trip of his administration. So the haters and losers might well be the the guests he's seeing on CNN, for example, from his hotel room. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Right, uh, but but not to mention, I mean. He is active on Twitter. Presumably, he sees the odd, <laughs> the odd retweet, the odd comment here and there. There are so many thousands; he can't possibly read them all. But he still seems very confident, doesn't he? He, he he's going to this with that defiance, but also the expectation that he will know today whether a deal can be done. Not necessarily that a deal will be done. D- do you share that confidence? Well, I I think that uh, he has scaled back his ambitions for this meeting um, over the past few weeks. I think the Trump administration started out with the idea of a big bang, that that in that first meeting, Kim Jong-un would have to put his, you know, nuclear program and missiles on the table, you know, um, and and agree to give them up. I'm not sure that that was ever a realistic uh, possibility. I think President Trump has now tried to define success as the beginning of a diplomatic process, perhaps a lengthy diplomatic process. Um, uh, but uh, he, he does trust you know, his negotiating instincts. Um, I think those of us who have spent careers in you know, foreign policy you know, believe that there's a difference between uh, commercial negotiations and diplomatic negotiations, but um, I, I think there's a reasonable chance that at least uh, President Trump and, and Kim Jong-un will be willing to start a process and then see where it goes. There, there does seem to be a certain irony that the man that you worked for, ex-President Barack Obama, is highly praised in many quarters around the world for his administration, but obviously was not able to find anything like a North Korea breakthrough. Uh, the strategic patience policy of, of trying to wear down North Korea a little bit more 
patiently and gradually than what we've seen under President Trump did not bear fruit, at least under that administration. Uh, maybe in Barack Obama's defense, he was taking a long-term view. Uh, under President Trump, however, a lot of criticism for many different policies, but maybe he is about to see a North Korea breakthrough. W- what do you make of that if it proves to be the case, uh, that irony? Well, I, I, I would be careful about uh, you know, how, how to define breakthrough. You know, President Trump has agreed to a meeting with Kim Jong-un at the start of a negotiating process. This, in a way, turns diplom- normal diplomacy you know, on its head. You know, norm- you know, I mean, under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration, under the Clinton administration, you had a great deal of work at, at lower levels to see what was possible. Uh, and, and, in fact, it, it, it never rose to the level that warranted uh, a leadership meeting of the kind that we'll see uh, in a couple of hours. Um, you know, President Trump has had decided to approach this differently, but as he enters the room, and I'm, I would argue that as he exits the room after a couple of hours uh, of one-on-one and then, and then uh, you know, the bilateral meeting, uh, he will still not know whether at the end of this process Kim Jong-un is actually prepared you know, to meet the U.S. objective of complete, verifiable, uh, and irreversible, you know, denuclearization. Over the past couple of days in the meetings between, you know, North Korean officials and American officials, they've actually struggled to just reach a common definition of what denuclearization means. So I'm sure this will be a valuable meeting. It has already yielded something of, of consequence, particularly for South Korea, you know, Kim Jong-un has agreed that while negotiations are going forward, there'll be no further nuclear tests, there'll be no further uh, missile tests. Uh, that certainly has lowered the risk of a military confrontation and sudden escalation. But as we start this process, we still don't really know where it's going to end. Certainly, though, President Trump has seemed like a man in a hurry throughout his administration. He's been getting things done. Many of those things, uh, as I said before, have been criticised, uh, especially on the domestic front. But but I'm, again, curious to ask you, because of your experience of working with uh, ex-President Obama, wh- why was it that we never saw an Obama-Kim meeting, for example? Well, if you go back to uh, 2008... Uh, you know, President Obama uh, did say that he would be willing to meet with uh, adversarial leaders if it advanced U.S. national interests. Um, and, and, but you'll recall that at the start of the Obama administration, we had a different leader uh, in North Korea. Yes. And, and at the midpoint of the Obama administration, uh, that leader died to be succeeded by his son. It, it's taken Kim Jong-un uh, some time to consolidate uh, his uh, power in in North Korea, and I think he has drawn certain lessons from uh, what's happened in the world over the past uh, uh, you know decade or so. Uh, you know, particularly within the Obama administration, the decision to you know support a NATO intervention in Libya uh, and the overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi. So I think you you know you know, you know it just was you know the conditions did not exist. You know, during the Obama administration, for you know this kind of a uh, you know a a meeting, there was the six-party process. That six-party process stalled. Uh, 
but here you now have a North Korean leader, and, and I do think you have to give Kim Jong Un um, a lot of credit for for you know how, how did we get here? Um, it, you know, I think Kim Jong Un has been driving events far more than you know Donald Trump has been. Uh, but he he has declared that he has a mature uh, nuclear capability. That's a that's a, re- a debatable point, but that, that that's what he said. Yes. And he has declared that he now has a missile capability uh, to threaten you know the United States and, and any any other country in the world. So I I think he has reached a point where he believes uh, he has the uh, the wherewithal you know and um, and and you know to be able to himself. You know, conduct this kind of a meeting. What about the argument, though, that it was sanctions that drove all this, that uh, only when President Trump came to power did we see those sanctions really start to bite? Because for years under the Obama administration, we had one package of sanctions after another. Um, I, I, th- I think that's, that's a factor. I, I think it's a mistake to say that it, it is one thing that has brought us to this point. Uh, it's multiple things that has brought us to this point, but we again we have to be cautious that um, at the end of this process, you know, is it is it likely that Kim Jong Un is going to give up his uh, hard earned nuclear and missile capability, whatever it is? I think it's still you know very unlikely, um, and and for the United States, uh, you know, this this has yielded. Uh, you know some important, uh, uh, you know, something of importance, which is the the moratorium. We've, after you know, months of rhetoric around fire and fury, we now have we're giving diplomacy, you know, the opportunity to uh, to take center stage. That that's important and valuable, and and we shouldn't forget the contribution of, you know, South Korean President Moon uh, in helping to uh, to uh, the, the two countries arrive at this point. Um, but there's a lot of work ahead. This is this is the beginning of a complex process. Uh, you know, you mentioned before that that you know Donald Trump is a man in a hurry. I mean, what's ir- ironic here is is he's they've declared you know the era of strategic patience to be over. Yet anyone who has worked on North Korean issues you know over the years <laughs> understands that the one thing that you need when dealing with North Korea is in fact you know, strategic paces, patience, because whatever's going to happen uh, is not going to follow uh, a linear path. So it really does seem like a bit of a, a perfect storm. And, and, and we do perhaps have to spend a moment on South Korean President Moon Jae-in, who doesn't look like he's going to be there in Singapore. We had been hoping he might be. But, uh, but, but the fact that we've seen a reversal from the Obama administration to a, a, a Republican U.S. government, but then a, a flip of that uh, over here in South Korea, it, it does seem to have also made a huge difference. Um, I, I'm, I, I do think that uh, you know, President Moon took advantage of the gesture that Kim Jong-un uh, made uh, surrounding you know, the Pyeongchang uh, Olympics. That's to his credit. Um, and any time that uh, a North Korean leader and a South Korean leader are are talking, that's good. Any time a North Korean leader and a Chinese president are talking, that's good. Any time a North Korean leader and an American, you know, president are speaking, that's that's potentially good. Um, 
and so you know all of these individuals uh, deserve credit for for bringing us back to a a potential diplomatic path, but we should not underestimate how hard this is going to be. Um, at the end of this, what the United States wants, what South Korea wants, what China ostensibly wants, you know, is a denuclearized Korean peninsula. That that's the appropriate goal. Um, but North Korea has a vast nuclear complex. Are they willing to dismantle it? Very good question. You know, can that be verified? Very good question. Um, you know, will North Korea agree to intensive international inspections, which will, which will allow international inspectors to go anywhere at any time to see anything they want? Um, that would be out of character with how we understand North Korea today. Mm. Um, and then diplomatic, you know, and then and then from a domestic political standpoint in the United States, in South Korea, you know, what will. Uh, what will North, if if in fact North Korea is prepared to give up its nuclear capability, you know what will the price be, and who, and who will pay that price? Still, those uh, how questions. How much will China be expected to contribute? How much will South Korea be expected to contribute? How much will the United States be expected to contribute? All of these things go into whether you know this diplomacy will will be successful. Certainly, those are the big questions at this point. But we've got to leave it there, Professor Crowley. Thank you for taking the time. A pleasure.